0: Welcome home. Glad everyone is here today. Obviously, I'm not any of the lead pastors. My name is Garrett Stalder. If you don't know me, I'm the youth pastor here at Pitt-Naz, and I'm really excited to be able to bring God's word to you this morning when he's laid on my heart. Um, and I know for a fact that God has made this message for someone, because last Monday I was preparing a message after age finished, was preparing a message and had a message completely done, spent all day on it, spent all day trying to get things put together, putting the slides together, trying to make it sound nice, you know, to make sure that you guys don't think I'm some kind of weirdo, and put everything together, spent a day on it, spent the next day kind of practicing, going through it, and then Thursday morning rolls around, which is the day of whenever we're supposed to plug everything in, and everything completely changes. Everything. The sermon that I had planned and the message that I had prepared is completely different than the one that I'm going to speak to you today. Yes, I did practice, so hopefully it's going to come along that way, but just want to let you know that God has something important to say to you today, whether it's through me or someone in the lobby, I don't know, but I hope that you'll listen. Um, We've been in a series talking about messy family, and this, again, is the series Clarity. I'm wrapping it up today, and this is what we've been talking about through the last couple of weeks, and last week, whenever Pastor Age told us about the definition of family, he says, God can bring hope and healing to even the messiest family. And I believe today that that is the truth. And last week, age gave us a new definition of what family is, and that is who we journey with and who we journey like. And just so we can get to know each other a little bit, I want to show you a couple of photos of the people who I journey with um, in my attempt to journey like Jesus. This is my beautiful bride and I on our wedding day. Um, She's up here. She's one of those people who I journey with. This is part of my family um, on Andy's dad's side, and this is my sister, some of our youth kids who are part of my family because it's who we journey with, right? This is my mom and the rest of us kids, and part of my family on Andy's side as well, and then that's my dad right there in the middle. If you can't see the resemblance, then you've got a problem because we look exactly alike. It's insane. Um, (laughs) And so last week, Age redefined family for us. And this week, I get to answer a different kind of question. The question that I get to answer for you today is what is it like to be a part of God's family? So we've discovered that God brings hope and healing to all of the families of the Bible. He can bring hope and healing to our families, even our messiest situations. Last week, Age says our family isn't just who we live in a household with or our bloodline. Our family is who we journey with and who we journey like. And today, I get to talk about what it's like to be a part of that family. And I think one of the greatest ways, one of the greatest places that we can learn about what it's like to be a part of God's family comes from John chapter 11, the story about Lazarus. And so there's this story that John, the, one, of, one of the people who wrote one of the Gospels, they wrote the Gospel John, he writes this story um, after the fact, but he recollects this story, writes it in the Bible, or writes it in a letter, and says, this is what happened. And so what I'm going to do for us today is I'm going to read a little section, which is John chapter 11. We're going to read John chapter 11, verses 1 through 44, but we're going to take it in chunks, okay? So just bear with me as we go along. But if you want to follow along, feel free. I use the NIV. You might use something else. So here's where we're going to start. John chapter 11, we're going to start with verses um, 1 through 6. It says, Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Now this Mary, whose brother was Lazarus, who, now, who was now sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, This sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he waited for two days. And then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. Here's the dialogue part. The sisters send word to Jesus, who is two days away, and says, Lord, the one you love is sick. So there's, there's some obvious things that we can, we can see. Just from this message that's being sent to Jesus, there's some obvious things that we can point out. The sisters say, this is the one that you love, Lazarus, who's sick. First of all, we can kind of understand that the sickness might be fairly serious. To send a letter to someone who they believe can heal their brother, to send a letter to them who's, to somebody who's two days away, means that they believe that, one, that Jesus can do something, and two, that he's probably pretty sick, if they're that serious about sending a letter. And this must mean also that this is one of Jesus's pretty good friends, a family member, according to Age's definition last week. It's a family member of his. And the fact that they ask him means that they believe that Jesus might be able to do something about it. It's important. And this piece of dialogue is very important. Lord, the one you love is sick. Lazarus. And so Jesus says, not to the sisters, but to his disciples, this sickness will not end in death. And I think it's funny that the sisters get—they didn't get this message from Jesus. They didn't get the hope that maybe the disciples got. The disciples got it. And that's weird because Jesus then proceeded to wait for two days while this man is lying on his deathbed, basically, sicker than a dog, just waited for two days, 48 hours. And so, in my mind... This doesn't make any sense. Like, I don't, know, I don't know if you guys have ever had a family member who's sick. Like, my mom passed away last year right around this time. And as soon as I found out that she was in the hospital, I went to the hospital. Like, whenever she went to Kansas City, I went to Kansas City. Like, whenever a loved one of yours is sick, whenever a family member of yours is sick, you typically want to go to those places and be with them. Whether it's in their final hours or whether they're just sick and recovering. But Jesus didn't do that. And we have every reason to believe that this was Jesus' family. Scholars say that the last time that he slept, before he went to go be crucified, he may have stayed at Mary, Martha, and Lazarus' house. These were the people who he confided in, the people who he loved. Mary and Martha make it a point to send to Jesus, this is the one that you love, and he is sick. And then John even declares, John even points out, and says that, the, that Jesus loved Mary, Martha, and And Lazarus. So how could he go completely silent for two days like this? And this is where we run into our first point. Being a part of God's family means submitting to God's timing. Because even though Jesus was the son of God, he still was obedient to his father, no matter what. Being a part of God's family means submitting to his timing. That means that God had something greater in store Because God had something greater in store for Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And something greater in store for the disciples. And something greater in store for all of the people who were involved. And I believe today that if you are a part of God's family or you want to be a part of God's family. That he has something greater in store for you. And maybe the only thing that you need to do is submit to his timing and wait. And it might take two days. It might take ten years. It might take an entire lifetime of praying for your loved ones to get better or to come to know Christ. It might take an entire lifetime of praying through a divorce. It might take an entire lifetime of trying to feel better. But Jesus Christ has something greater in store for you. And I believe that today. So our next section of dialogue comes from John 11, verses 7 through 15. And then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. But rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you, and yet you're going back? And Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? Anyone who waits in the daytime will not stumble, for they see by the world's light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. And after he said this, he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Jesus had been speaking, of course, of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I'm glad I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. Then Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of his disciples, let us also go that we may die with Jesus. Here's the dialogue. But Rabbi, they said a short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you and yet you want to go back This doesn't make any sense either. This story is full of weird stuff. Like Jesus, it's basically me saying to you, okay, so why would you go to the south side of Detroit if the last time that you went there you got shot at? Why would you go to New York and hang out on the streets if the last time you were there you got mugged and almost stabbed? Why would you do that? That doesn't make any sense. And this is what Thomas is saying to Jesus. But Jesus then looks at him and says, anyone who walks in the daytime won't stumble for they see by the world's light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. Jesus is saying to them, No threat of death, no fear of pain can keep me from, one, submitting to God's timing, but being obedient to my Father and helping my family. Nothing can keep me from being obedient to my Father and going and finding some way to help my family. And so the next part of the dialogue comes between these two phrases. Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep versus Lazarus is dead. Now there's hope found in sleep. There's hope for the disciples in this situation. Because Jesus looks at his disciples and he says, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep. And the disciples are like, well, great. Maybe he'll get better then. Because typically you've fallen asleep. That means your body's working hard. Your body's doing something that it needs to do so that way it can get better. And the disciples are like, well, okay, let's leave him alone. He's, he's getting better. But then all of that hope that was just built up, all of that hope that Jesus had just instilled in the disciples was dashed away when he plainly tells them, actually, Lazarus is dead. I just need to let you know that I wasn't kidding. Whenever I said he was falling asleep, I actually meant something else. And so Jesus tells them plainly. And so the second part of what it's like to be a part of God's family, the second point is that we often have to walk into hopeless situations, sometimes for two days. But we always have to walk into hopeless situations as a family member of Christ without fear of what might happen to us whenever we get there. Without, the, with, without fear of the repercussions that might come to attack us. Without fear of what they might think or what they might say or what other people might think and say. We walk into those situations without fear of what might happen to us. Because we are a family member of God and we walk into those hopeless situations with the power of the Holy Spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. And we walk into those situations with the hope of the resurrection of the dead. And sometimes we might be able to do it for other people. We might be able to do it for someone else because we're you know some, we don't we don't always like to put our own stuff our own junk out there. So we might we might decide to go and do something nice or do something helpful or do something pure for someone else. But whenever it comes to our own junk, we often get caught up, and we don't we don't want to walk into our own hopeless situations. Because they're hopeless. And you know what? Your hopeless situation could be a number of things. It could be a downward spiral into some sort of addiction, whether it be pornography or alcohol or drugs of some sort. Your hopeless situation might be a divorce that you've been praying over for years and years, and it's just, it, there's nothing that you can do about it. Your hopeless situation might be a family member who's in the hospital. But as family members of Jesus Christ, as family members and heirs and children of God, we get to walk into our own hopeless situation as well as others With hope and without fear. Because that's who Jesus Christ called us to be. And our next section of dialogue is the longest one. And it comes, it's John chapter 11, verses 17 through 35. Here's where it starts. On his arrival, so Jesus walks to go see Lazarus. He found that Lazarus has already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them at the loss of their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. But Mary stayed home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. So Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. There's the hope again. And Martha answered, I know he will... I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe that? And she replies, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. And after she said this, she went back, called her sister Mary aside, and said, the teacher is here, and he's asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered into the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. And when the Jews, who had been with Mary in the house, comforting her, noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, thinking that she might be going to the tomb to mourn her brother there instead of in the home. Now when Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. The same thing that Martha said. Then when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he said. Come and see, Lord, they replied. And Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how much he loved him. Here's a dialogue. Martha, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died makes sense. Jesus had been, had been doing all these miracles and healing all these people. If you would have been here, you could have saved my brother from this sickness. What kind of family member are you to have been with us two nights before you were crucified, which hadn't happened yet? What kind of family member are you for me to send a letter to you, knowing that you can do something about it, to not come and help my brother? A little, I'd be a little upset too. But then Jesus has the audacity to say, your brother will rise again it's another one of those things that don't make sense and obviously we can tell through the story that Martha and Mary didn't understand like I get it yeah he'll rise again on the last day the resurrection on the last day I get it I understand but then there comes this part of the story he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled where have you laid him he asked come and see Lord they replied and then Jesus wept I need us to sit in this for a moment because this is very, very important. I need you, I need you all to, to create this visual with me. I know it's early. I know some of us haven't had our cup of coffee yet. But I need, us, I need us to sit in this visual. I need us to see this picture as clean as day. Now, all of these Jews were from Bethlehem who were there weeping and sobbing because of Lazarus' death. The two sisters whose brother had just died were weeping, sobbing uncontrollably because their brother had just died. Jesus walks into this situation knowing what he's about to do. You could understand that he might be a little upset because they don't have the faith that he had given them from the past. Some scholars say that Jesus was troubled in his spirit because he was angry of the faithlessness of the people. And some scholars say, and what we can kind of deduce from this story, is that Jesus was sad because there's dozens of people around him who were crying and weeping. And I say that it's both. Because Jesus can be both filled with compassion at a loss, uh, filled with compassion and at a loss for the faithlessness of people at the same time. Because we need to understand that Jesus was a champion of death. He conquered it, he destroyed it whenever he died and was resurrected. But he can still be moved by the pain of others. And that's our third point today. Being a part of God's family means living with a broken heart. Living with a broken heart for the lost, the blind, and the broken people. The people who don't know Jesus. The people who don't know the hope that you have in your heart. If you're a family member of Jesus Christ, you've inherited the resurrection power. It's inside of you. You get to walk into different hopeless situations, waiting on God's timing, bringing the hope of the resurrection of Jesus Christ into everything. And your heart can be broken for people who don't have that hope. You live with a broken heart for people who are mourning. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. It's not just that the Holy Spirit is going to go and be with those people whenever you pray, because it will happen. But God might also be sending you to go and be with those people because they're broken and unhappy and need your help. But maybe there's a couple of you in here who feel like your heart is always broken. Who feel like you already live with a broken heart. And you know what, maybe it's time for your heart to be broken for others instead of for your own stuff. I'm not saying that to remove the pain and the frustration and the anger that comes out of your own stuff. But what I'm saying is that the hope and the love and the grace of Jesus Christ and his resurrection from the dead can relieve you from your own junk so much That you can turn and help others with that pain and that suffering. If you're mourning because of the loss of a loved one, and you know that someone else's loved one is on their deathbed, would you not want to go and comfort them? Take the hope of Jesus Christ with them, with you, so you can help them. Because we know that there's a life after this life. That those who live in Christ don't actually die. To live as Christ, to die is gain. We live again. Our next part of the dialogue is 11:36 through45. The Jews had just said to Jesus, "Could not this man who have opened the eyes of the blind, also heal this man?" And Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone," he said, "But Lord, the Mar- Martha, the sister of the dead man. By this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there for four days." And then Jesus said, "Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God?" So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here so that they may believe that you sent me. When he said this, Jesus called out in a loud loud voice, Lazarus, come out. Then the dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. But Lord, said Martha, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been in there for four days. Jesus, there's nothing you can do about this. He's been in there for four days. The scholars who have been all over this story for a long time believe, and the people of old believe, that a spirit hung around a body for no more than three days. No more than three days. After the three days was up, there was no chance of anyone being resurrected from the dead. No chance at all. this is a hopeless, Martha and Mary are hopeless. The Jews there who believe and know that the Spirit only hangs around for three days, they're hopeless, completely destitute, have no, there's no chance that this man will ever rise from the dead. And Jesus replied, did I not tell you that if you would just believe, you would see the glory of God? Did I not tell you before that if you would just believe that I can do exactly what I told you I was going to do, Whenever we started this journey, being a part of God's family means forth, rising from the dead. Now this is, this is probably the most important thing that I can point out to you today. If you don't get anything else, this is what I want you to walk away with. All right, so if you've, if you've been asleep, just wake up for a couple of minutes and then you can go back. This is why Christ died. It's not just to give us or to extend our lifespan beyond this life that we live now. It's not just to give us eternal life, it's not. Jesus died and was resurrected from the dead to give us a new life here on this earth, now. Jesus died to free us from the sin and the selfishness and the fear and the doubt and the addiction of this life. Because none of that's going to happen in the next one. And if you think for a second that you can get it out of your impatience, that you can get rid of the sin and the hopelessness and the hate that's in your heart on your own timing, you're wrong. If you think for a second that you can fix your hopeless situations all by yourself or that you can try to fix someone else's hopeless situations all by yourself, you're wrong. If you think for a second... That maybe your heart can't be fixed, or maybe you've got your own problems to deal with, you can't help anybody else, your situation is too crummy to be redeemed, or your situation is too bad to benefit anybody else, you're wrong. Because Jesus Christ died not just to extend your lifespan into this next into the next life, but to give you a new life of freedom. From sin, freedom. From addiction, freedom. From hell that lives on this earth. And he did that for today and tomorrow and the next day. He didn't just do it for no reason. There was a purpose for it. Romans 8.15 says, So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit. When he adopted you, as his own children now we get to call him Abba father, it's, a, it's an Aramaic term it's a Hebrew word for daddy we get to look at God the father of Jesus Christ the one who breathed planets and galaxies into existence and we get to say with the same authority that comes from a small child looking up at their dad raising up their arms in the air we get to look at God the comforter, the peacemaker, the healer as our dad if you thought the rest of the story didn't make sense. Also in Romans 8, so now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to Him, because you belong to Him, the power of the life-giving Spirit has freed you, freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. Romans six twenty-three. for the wages of sin is death. If you've ever sinned in your life one time, you deserve death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. But not just eternal life in the next life. Eternal life here, right now. Breathe it in. Breathe in. Eternal life. It's His breath in our lungs. And if He is eternal life, if He's outside of time, if He's breathing galaxies into existence, then that life is inside of us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from our unrighteousness. Are you hearing what I'm saying? He died so that you can have a life here and now, not just to extend our lifespan. That's what it's like to be be a part of the family of God. That is it right there. It's to look up at the one who created everything. The one who knit you together in your mother's womb, who gave you a purpose before the creation of the world. You get to look up at him and say, all right. Behold, with an unveiled face, the glory of God. Look, you get to look upon God because of what Jesus Christ did to remove us, to remove our sins, and to take away the selfishness and the pain that we live with in this life. Here's the big idea. Write this down. Being a part of God's family means being set free to live who the Father created you to be. I'm going to say it again. Being a part of God's family means being set free to live, to live, to live, not to die and live in the next life. To live who the Father created you to be. In Ephesians chapter one, it says, before the beginning of time, he had a purpose for you. And if you think you're too old, or maybe you think you're too young, or you think your life has been so messed up and convoluted and disheveled, that you can't receive this, oh man, you're so wrong. I'm so glad to tell you that you're wrong today if you believe that. Because there's nothing better than being set free from the life that you believe that you should be living. Because if you submit to God's timing as a child of God, if you walk into those hopeless situations, if you live with that broken heart, if you raise raised from the dead like Jesus rose Lazarus from the dead, then there's nothing keeping you from living the way that Christ has purposed you to live. Being a part of God's family means being set free to live who the Father created you. I'm not, I'm not going to stay up here for too long. I want you to know that what happens on this stage is not more important than what happens with you. So if you're coming in here just to receive your Sunday morning thing that you do every week, please don't do that today. Take something with you, whether it was a piece of the scripture that was read, whether it was a song that was sung, a smile that you saw from across the room, take it with you and give it to someone else. Because this isn't, this isn't Christianity. Following Jesus is taking what you know and what you love and the power that he has given you and giving it to others. That's, that's good news. This isn't good news. You are good news. You are the light of the world. That's you. And so as family members of Christ, as heirs to the throne, as people who are literally in the possessive, like who belong to christ take with you his love and his power and his grace and his mercy to walk in his timing to walk into hopeless situations to live with a broken heart and to be resurrected from the dead and live differently not just in anticipation for what's to come but for what has happened For what happened 2,000 years ago and what's continuing to happen today God, thank you so much for these men and women thank you for their their hearts for the love that you've put inside of them for the peace that you're giving them even right now I pray that you would give them the courage that it takes to walk into those hopeless situations the patience and wait so hard, God, help us god whatever it takes to live with a broken heart and father the courage to step out and live resurrected just like lazarus did we love you and we thank you in jesus name amen the lord bless you and keep you the lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you the lord turn his face toward you and give you peace